And then uh, Jason Nolan is going to show up here in just a second from wherever he is. Jason's on deck today. Oh, here we go. Yes, yes, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. You know, the scriptures say, too, that he teaches our hands to war and our fingers to fight. So, today, our message is going to be on spiritual warfare uh, and how worship is a, is a powerful tool. But before I get to that, right now, okay, it's, it's important for us as believers to know what's going on in our culture right now. And there is this, this move of God amongst musicians that maybe you've been seeing Kanye West has become a believer. He has put an album out called Jesus is King. There's a giant billboard in Times Square saying Jesus is King. Hallelujah. Demi Lovato has been baptized in the River of Jordan. Uh, we, we have so many people. Justin Bieber has been leading worship. Okay, Justin Bieber is leading worship, folks. Okay, uh, and, you know, the Kardashians, so, you know, you know, he's, uh, Connie's on the Kardashians. Well, Lamar Odom, who has just been in a terrible state, okay, well, he just got saved last week up in Cleveland. So we've got two people on the Kardashians show, okay, have been just radically, radically saved. I mean, if, you, if, if somebody would have prophesied this, okay, you would have said, that person is a false prophet. There's no way it can happen. But folks, it's happening. So if, if you're a musician, if you're in tune with music, understand, pay special attention. There's an alert right now because God is doing something in our culture. And yet we might say, well, I, we'll see what kind of a believer that person is. I don't care. Who cares, right? Because the point is, these people will influence more people in a tweet than probably the entire church will, you know, over the course of a year because there's so many people following them. And get this, I got a, um, I got a message from a mother uh, last night, okay, uh, you know, on my text. And uh, her daughter is, is in a prodigal place right now. And she called her mom and said, you know, if Kanye, if this can happen to Kanye, then, you know, with him doing a 180, maybe it can happen for me. Wow. Folks, see, that's just it. The power of music, okay, the power of worship, it's, it's amazing, and there's something going on. And isn't it, isn't it kind of interesting that we've got a worship conference coming up right here? And before the power of God fell back in, like, 94, one of the things in this church, and by the way, this was a, a, a central critical church, okay, in the renewal movement of the Toronto Blessing with Randy Clark, that this was the, one of the first stops after Toronto, was right here, not over there at, at Cooper Road, right here at this church, okay? Because we invited everybody from, uh, from all of Columbus to come in. And what was the precursor to that? There were two things. It was intercession and prayer, and it was worship. There was such a hunger for worship. And John, you remember those days. Sometimes we would be, we would be worshiping, 
And uh, it just the Spirit of God was, was just in the house. Everybody's just there. Um, I mean, we were broke. We were uh, broken. We had a, a what, a 600-seat arena with about 70 people scattered, by the way, you know, as far apart as they could. That's how broken we were. But, but we just loved to worship. And sometimes John would say, you know what? We're, there's no, no message today. We're just going to go vertical. We're just going to stay with the Lord and just worship him. And we'd worship and we'd pray. And guess what? We all met with God. And isn't that, at the end of the day, that's why we come. We, we come to church because everybody who's here today, probably at the vineyard, is you probably walked in here one day and something happened to your heart where the worship was happening and you just started to cry and you didn't know why. But I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus loves you. And when his presence is here, it pushes back the layers, it pushes back all the hard things. And the reality of God comes into your heart and you don't even know what it is, but you know, I've got to come back because that felt really, really good. And I had my daughter brought one of her friends who, you know, didn't go to church, but as soon as she came into the sanctuary at worship, she started weeping. And every week she came, she wept. And God met her. God's given her visions. God's awakened her spiritually. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing what happens, you know, with the power of worship. Amen? And, and you know, we're going to talk about that because the, the power of worship is really, it's, it's all about the, it's the presence of God, folks. That, that's what it is. And um, yeah, I did this thing with, with General Patton because, well, you know, I like props. Um, that's part of it. Uh, I'm going to take this off because how, how can you take me serious when I'm wearing that? But again, I'm a fool for Jesus. Whose fool are you, right? Isn't that old? Yeah, she looks like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, so, but, I, but General Patton, there's, there's some striking similarities between what he did and what the church is called to do. And I could go on for a long time, but, you know, we've had about seven speakers here today, so I'm going to try to cut this a little short, which is always a good thing, right? So anyway, um, General Patton, okay, after the D-Day invasion, and the equivalent of the D-Day invasion for Christians was what? I'll give you a hint. Yes, that's right, the cross, the, the finished work of Jesus. Okay, so Jesus died. He said it is finished, which it is, but guess what? It, we're not done, okay, because we're called to occupy. We're called to be uh, on a mission for God, okay, which is to preach good news to the poor, uh, to make disciples of all nations, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. We have a mission. Well, General Patton had a mission, okay, and his mission was, okay, now let's go. Let's take ground. Let's neutralize the enemy. Let's liberate cities, and he did. You know, in a matter of 281 days, he liberated 12,000 cities, he crossed 12 major rivers, and he neutralized 1.8 million Nazis who were devastating, um, you know, the country of Germany and, and other, um, other places. Well, get this. About 50 days, okay, after the resurrection, guess what happened? Okay? Holy Spirit fell. The church was filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered with all the different spiritual giftings, everything that Jesus did. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus said, is that greater things than these you will do. So the church, after 50 days, we were fully weaponized. So you guys are weaponized. You don't know. Now, I'm not carrying a weapon right now other than the sword of the Spirit, which is like a double-edged sword, amen? That's the only weapon I'm carrying. But we're all carrying a weapon right now. And I was thinking about this. And Sheila, in our um, Sultan class, I'm taking this, this School of Kingdom ministry class. Every once in a while, you get this nugget, and it just, it just explodes in you. You got to share it. I got to share this one. 
So the gospel, right? I'm going to use the word gospel. Well, that's a very religious term. Very religious, isn't it? The gospel, the good news. And, and it's kind of like, you know, a little sing-songy sometimes. You might think of a, maybe a four-person Baptist quartet or maybe a giant, you know, choir that might be rocking. That's gospel. No. Here's the original, the original meaning of gospel. It is an edict from the king. It is an edict. The, the word in Hebrew is hisser. So the gospel isn't Christian. Um, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had an edict. He had a gospel. Uh, he had a hisser that he sent out to the people, especially after he was crazy for about seven years, and he said, you know, the most high God is the God, and we need to worship him. And it totally changed, totally changed how the, the, the Jews, the Hebrews, were treated in captivity with that gospel, that hisser. Um, Haman, okay, the story of Esther, where Haman put out a hisser that on a certain day, all the Jews were to be killed. That was a gospel. It was a hisser. So if you're, if you're kind of understanding what I'm saying is that, that the gospel is a new law. It is a new edict. It will be enforced by the king, by his soldiers, by his army. Okay. Well, that was back then. What about now? So get this. Right now, everyone here, okay, you are enforcers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? You're not the FBI, you're not the CIA, you're not the DEA, but you are the GEA, you are gospel enforcement agents. Okay, say, I'm a gospel enforcement agent. I, I, I said, say this, okay? I'm a gospel enforcement agent. Okay, good, good. You guys are tracking with me. Sometimes we have to, get, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go a little responsive on you here. So, so here's the deal. John was talking about our food pantry, and um, some, we had a, a woman out here, and Zach, you, you saw the whole thing, but um, she was like limping, uh, and she's one of the Iraqi ladies, and uh, you know, I just said, hey, what's going on? And she said, well, you know, I've, I'm all swollen down here, and I'm in a lot of pain. So I started praying. I didn't do a very good job because I forgot to ask her how much pain she was in, which hurts the way I pray. So I said, well, let me start over. I said, well, how much pain are you in? She goes, I'm an eight. I'm like eight on pain. And I said, well, let me pray for you. So she didn't know what the heck I was doing because her English was a little, a little shaky. But I went down, prayed, and I said, okay, walk. And she walked. I said, well, has anything happened? She goes, I go, well, where are you? She goes, like a six. Like, Do you want to go lower? She goes, yeah. So I said, okay. So I prayed a little again. Not a long prayer. And I said, okay, walk. And then all of a sudden, she's like, what's happening? What's happening? She was a four, okay? And then I said, do you want more? And she just shakes her head. And we prayed again. And then she was at a two. By this time, he is weeping. She's saying, what's happening? I say, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus loves you. He does not want you to be in pain. And it was his compassion, okay, that was moving on her and loving her. Because that's the number one reason. If you do a study in the, the, in the Bible about why Jesus healed, the number one, number one reason that he heals is out of compassion because he feels your pain. And he felt her pain. And boom. And she just is literally like in bewilderment. But, but here's the thing about the government enforcement agent. When I'm praying there, okay, it's, it's not just me praying, okay? Because right behind me, okay, is this giant strong man, the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, who is standing behind me, and what she's feeling is emanating from Jesus, you know? And all we have to do, again, as, as the GEA, Gospel Enforcement Agents, is to just reach out and touch somebody's hand, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what we got to do. So, so, you agents of the gospel, um, 
spiritual warfare um, is a confrontation between two ruling authorities. Um, and I'm going to tell you a story that demonstrates, okay, worship and the power of his presence. Okay, buckle up for this one because you normally do not hear stories like this on a Sunday. So are you guys ready? Oh, we're ready. Amen, brother. Okay, so this is like circa 1994 or so. And there was this thing going on in Columbus, I think everywhere, where there was this spiritual hunger, okay? And people were going to church, but they were saying, you know, I'm hearing these stories that, that God is healing people and that, that miracles are happening and all this. And the vineyard was right at the center of all this, okay? So with this clamor coming to John Lee, because John, John was so connected with all the other churches and pastors and so many people, he said, hey, let's do a class. And he got some, you know, John Wimber videos, and we went to a house, and uh, we just watched these videos. And all these people, of which I was one, None of us had ever seen God do anything other than um, just, I mean, just, you know, you read your Bible and you be good, and that's kind of the game, right? Well, <laughs> we're hearing stories and we're seeing things in this class. And one of the last, one of the last days of the class, um, uh, he was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit where, where we pray for an empowerment for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to fill us, okay, and so that we can do the works of the kingdom and also releasing the gift of tongues, the gift of tongues. Yes, the most offensive of all spiritual gifts. If you hear, if you do not speak in tongues and you see people speaking in tongues, you will think, this is one crazy place and I am not coming back, okay? Because it is, it, it is crazy. But the thing about the gift of tongues, it's a powerful gift because you're speaking mysteries and you're speaking directly to God. It's the things that, are, that God's put in your heart that you're supposed to pray or you're supposed to praise and, and you just, you, you reach out to him sort of involuntarily, but as an act of faith. That's what it is. So John Wimber's there, and he said, okay, we're going to release the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to release the gift of tongues. This is on a video, by the way. So we're all in the room, and, um, <laughs> and then John Wimber starts, he starts singing this melody, better than that. Okay, much better than that, because it was a melody. Uh, and all of a sudden, there's a woman who is sitting kind of right in front of me on a couch, and she just goes, and, and you know, I'm like, okay, it's no big deal. And, and then all of a sudden, like, people were running. John, the, uh, uh, Connie Anderson, I think, was, they start running, and they bring back the biggest, like, stainless steel salad bowl I'd ever seen until we started doing ministry uh, with Maggie. And it's right in front of her. I'm like, oh, this woman's getting sick. I guess she doesn't like the music because I'm pretty dull, okay? No, that's not what was happening here, okay? When Wimber started to praise and worship, when he started to enthrone the God of heaven in the room, even on video, the presence of God came into the room. And this woman was engaged because she was engaged with what God, she wanted more of God in her life. Well, guess what? It engaged her, but it engaged something, okay, that was in here, a stronghold of the enemy. Well, it turns out, this is, the, this is the, what happened. They took her into another room, and they prayed for her, okay? And it turns out that this particular woman um, had dabbled in, like, New Age spirituality, crystals, you know, various things that, as believers, we're not supposed to dabble in. And what happens is, when you open a door to the enemy, be it a Ouija board, be it um, a seance, being it uh, a variety of sins, basically the enemy, the devil, Satan, demons, whatever you want to call it, the powers of the air, they have a foothold in you. They have a little room in your house. Now, they might not be doing anything, okay, but every once in a while, they'll be triggered and they'll raise their ugly head. But in this case, um, 
in this case, see, what was going on was there was this, this power encounter between the presence of God that was being enthroned in worship and what was in her. And just like when Jesus would walk in uh, to places where there are demons, and it's like, Jesus, what do you want with us? Why are you here before our time? They would just start manifesting because the enemy cannot stand okay, in the power and presence of God. When the presence is there, something happens that things have to move, things get revealed, and really the, the, enemies, the enemy flees. Again, you know, arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Well, this is what happens when the presence of God comes, is that God's light sort of uh, eviscerates evil. It moves it back. And uh, in this case, basically, uh, just to give you the epilogue, the, the, the prayers were, was really simple. I said, okay, do you want to be involved in New Age uh, spirituality anymore? She goes, no. Do you realize that's a sin? She goes, yes. Do you want to uh, confess it and renounce it? Yes. She confesses. She renounces it. We, uh, we pray a simple prayer, Lord, fill her with your spirit cleanser. We pronounce forgiveness, and that's it, okay? It's not the exorcist. It's not, you know, the power of Christ compels you with holy water. That's not how it's done, okay? This is a bonus, by the way. I'm giving you a deliverance teaching in the middle of a worship teaching. It's, it's that simple, Okay? has a legal right, you renounce it, you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen? So it was a really good story, uh, a really good thing that happened there. And that's, and that's kind of the principle of the, you know, the kingdom. Um, oh, <laughs> this is going to be good. Okay. Every once in a while, again, you get a nugget that you've got to share. So the gospel nugget was good, but this one, do you realize that there are several different levels of God's presence? Okay, and this is going to relate to worship here in a second. So like, for example, you're driving in your car, you're just praying, Lord, you know, and guess what? Sometimes you just, you just feel his presence, right? For me, you know, the little tender tears come, my eyes start to water, and I know, hey, I'm in God's presence. Or you just, all of a sudden, I don't feel heavy anymore. So because the Holy Spirit's in us, we feel God's presence, right? Oh, yes, exactly. So, but there's another level. Okay, the other level is this. Have you heard this, this scripture? It says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst. You guys have heard that one? Well, wait a minute. I thought you were already living in me, so of course you're in our midst. This is another level, folks. And I don't know that you've ever been there. Uh, some of you have. I'm gonna, you're going to get some nods on this. But have you ever had a conversation where you're talking with other believers, and this person says something, and then that person says something, and it triggers this, and it triggers that, and all of a sudden, you know, Roy Venata calls it uh, the dancing hand of God in, in, in Pentecostal traditions, you know, that, that, that the Holy Spirit will move and will actually motivate and stir, you know, activity, godly talk, Okay even more powerful if you've got two or three people that pray together on a regular basis because they can flow in the Spirit. And the reason it's more powerful is that when two are there, it forms government, it, it forms authority. And when they agree in prayer, it's more than just one. So you guys are getting that there's this second level, right? Yes? Amen? Okay. Now there's a third level, okay? And this is what we're talking about today, and this is worship. How many have heard the Scripture that says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Who, who's heard that? Okay, which basically means, guess what? When we worship, God's here. Get this. So it's Psalm 22.3. It says, the Lord is enthroned on the praises of Israel, on the praises of his people. He's not just here hanging out. So right behind me, as we worship, this is what happens he installs a governmental throne, 
okay, where he rules and he reigns, okay? That as we worship, it's not just, oh, wow, we had a really nice little worship time. No, God is ruling and reigning. And I think, and I, I'm saying this for some of our, our worship leaders and, and really where God's taking our worship is that there's an authority. When you sense the Lord's presence is in the room, understand that this is the government of Jesus. The government of God is in the room. The presence is here to do the things. And if there's sickness, if there's disease, if there's evil, if there's strongholds, if there's things, guess what? Boom, it's got to flee. And sometimes, sometimes I don't think we take full advantage of that, that place of authority. It's like, hey, hey, wait a minute, he's on the throne, but we've got all kinds of stuff going on. Are we going to do anything? Well, no, we're pretty happy. We just had a good time of worship. No, no, in the name of Jesus, by the authority of the enthroned Christ, you know, we rebuke sickness, we rebuke depression, we rebuke the works of the devil. It was so cool here today. We had the open mic. Could you just feel, feel the presence of God? By the way, right after the Lord had been enthroned in worship, right? He's enthroned, and God's Spirit moves. God's Spirit moves. And when we pray, oh, in that place, it is a place of powerful authority. Amen? Are you guys getting this? Nod your head. All right. Okay, we can kind of go. You've got a couple of nice nuggets that maybe you've never heard before. All right, but there's more. Oh, there's more. Two quick things on spiritual warfare. Oh, by the way, that's not it. Not it. We need to know who our adversary is, and we need to know what our weapons are, okay? So, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, basically what he's saying is, when your boss is, like, antagonizing you and doing things, when those colleagues are coming against you, speaking bad about you, and I tell you, a lot of spiritual warfare happens in a work environment, they are not the enemy. Okay, this is what they're saying. It is what's behind them. It's the attitudes. Maybe, maybe you did something that you don't, you know, there's unforgiveness there. They're holding a grudge. You need to pray against that, not against the person. This, this is real critical, critical. Or family members. There's so much baggage in family. And with uh, Thanksgiving coming up, I know all you guys probably have really smooth family situations, but sometimes you go into family situations and it's like, Man, I remember 15 years ago. Whoa. You know, I mean, there's just, there's just issues, okay? There's issues. But here's the deal. This is why, okay, Jesus said that crazy, insane thing that we all have problems with sometimes. You need to pray for your enemies. You need to pray for your enemies. And we're not praying for the enemies because, you know what? <laughs> that person just fired me. That person just absolutely accused me and put some social media posts against me. I need to pray for them because, you know, Jesus loves them. No. No. I mean, yeah, I mean, Jesus does love him. Jesus has to love him, right? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't really have a choice. But here's the deal. We pray for that person. We pray, again, it's for, it's for the little child that Jesus died for, the little innocent child that somehow something's happened, something's gone wrong, there's darkness, there's things going on, there's issues in his life. We pray for his soul, and we say, Lord, just be with him. Lord, we call his spirit man to arise. We, we, we bless him, Lord, with your love. Lord, Lord, break his heart, Lord God. Lord, show him, Lord, Lord, the wickedness of his ways, Lord God. But Lord, be with him and bless his family. And this is, this is mm, I'm going to say, the axiom of spiritual warfare. Again, if you're going to take a note, when you are fighting a battle, a spiritual warfare battle, you come in the opposite spirit 
if they're coming against you, you pray a blessing on them. Because what it does, it releases something in heaven. Something in heaven is released. And that's what we want. I'm kind of hot here. Are you guys a little bit warm? Anybody warm? Can we, can we turn on? No, are you guys good or warm? Warm? Warm. Can, can we turn on the fans a little bit or, and, and just see what we can do, get a little air circulating? Not that I'm going to pass out or anything, but that's, uh, that, boy, that would be a story. Okay, so you, so you guys get it. You guys get it. And one other thing, too, is that if you notice, if you notice that, man, everybody I talk to, okay, man, they're coming against me. Uh, man, look at that person. Or you, or you, you notice that, man, I, you observe faults in everybody. Well, you know, maybe you don't have to pray for them. Maybe the prayer needs to, maybe you've got something going on. Maybe you've got a fault-finding spirit. Or maybe you've got something in you that is just more judgmental than it needs to be. And that's why, you know, we pray in Psalm 139. It's like, search me and try me, O God. You know, find any corrupt way within me and lead me in the ways everlasting. As we come before God, part of our prayer for others is also a prayer for ourselves because, after all, we normally don't do anything wrong, but there is that one in, in 50 chance that there is an issue with inside us that we want to pray about, and maybe the Lord will show you so you can deal with it. So when you're around the family, you're not tweaking everybody off. And, and um, what, what's the word? Um, not frosty, uh, prickly. You're not, you're not going to be prickly because you've got some issues. Let's not be prickly for this Thanksgiving. Maybe that could be like a, a T-shirt or a slogan. Okay. That's who we're fighting, the enemy. It's the spirits behind. This right here, okay, which you're only seeing part of because of uh, the orientation. This, I'm not going to read this the way that it is. I'm going to read the exact words, but here's the deal. We've been given spiritual weapons, but the only way we can access these spiritual weapons, okay, is this. It's, it, it, I'm going to read right in the middle. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Then we get spiritual weapons that are powerful for demolishing strongholds. When we do that, we have the weapon to demolish the stronghold. Now, we want the weapon. We don't want to do this. But if you look at this, okay, this is never, I've never seen this in the context of worship. But isn't that what worship is? Is that we go from where we are to saying, oh, God, you rule and reign. Oh, Lord, I've done this. You know, we just sort of, we calibrate Okay, our hearts and our spirits, our minds, we focus on the Lord. And then we come into this place where, where we are aligned with God. And, and from that place, we hear what God has for us. Things are revealed to us. And we become weaponized um, with revelation or here as the, the GEA agents, I'll call it intel. Okay, you have intel to do battle and do warfare. And I was, I was talking to Amy, uh, Amy Coker, who, um, how many were here a couple weeks ago when Amy shared her testimony? Okay. Some of you heard it, some of you didn't. But I'm going to give you just a, a, a quick capsulization because it's the most, it's the best illustration I've ever seen of strongholds being, you know, broken. So Amy's really good at whatever job she has, and she's one of those people that bounces from one job to another very quickly. If things aren't going well, within like days sometimes, it's almost uncanny. Well, she was in a bad situation at work where there was some intimidation and there was some a particular individual was doing some things that just were, were inappropriate and it was just causing all kinds of problems. So Amy historically knows, hey, I can leave here. I'll get a job really quick. Well, fast forward three or four months later and for whatever reason, in a really unusual way, doors are being closed. Doors are being closed. The good news is that we have Jesus who can open doors 
that no man can open and close doors that no man, no man can close. So John's preaching on spiritual warfare. He's preaching about forgiveness. I mean, if you haven't repented from forgiveness, you just haven't been here. So as this was going on, um, Amy's like, oh, wow. I think I'm holding something against this particular individual. I think I need to forgive them. But it was not, it's not an easy process, was it, Amy? It wasn't easy because he had, I mean, just, I mean, he had sinned against her in, in some different ways. And it was just hard. But she, again, what does it say here? Is that um, uh, we demolish arguments. I don't want to forgive him that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. First, I forgive you, therefore you will forgive others. Okay, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then there's Amy. Lord, I'll be obedient. And she forgives him. Okay, she just forgives him because this was it. Now, she wasn't forgiving him because she was having a problem with her job. But the day after she does this, Amy gets a phone call. Hey, I've got a, a job I think would be perfect for you. Next day, she gets the interview. Next day, she gets hired. Right? Or two days later, she got hired. And oh, by the way, uh, the money is not what we said. It's a lot more. Okay, so isn't that weird? Okay, what a coincidence. Okay, that all of a sudden, okay, something was set in motion by what she did. Okay, by what she did, um, she demolished, okay, this stronghold that was like, like a barrier in her. And, and Amy, I was, um, I was praying about this and, and going, and, and I think I have some insight, you know, for you on this, is that, that the Lord loves you so much that he did not want you going to the next place with a foothold and a stronghold of intimidation, because you don't need to carry that, okay, or a stronghold of unforgiveness where the enemy could root sickness and disease, as he was saying, stop. And again, in the brokenness, in the confusion, you pressed into God. And what happened? Boom. God moves. He demolished that. It's there. And guess what? You are not cut off. You are cut off from that individual and the intimidation that he was trying to sow into your life. You are cut off from uh, any unforgiveness that you, you harbored, that, that you, you are clean. And I believe that the Lord would, would say this to you today. He, he said that you are Amy Coker, demolisher of strongholds. You are Amy Coker, demolisher of strongholds. For what you've done in your devotional and your private life, God is going to say this. He's going to say that because you've been faithful with a little, my principle is I give you more. And you are going to have more, not just in your devotional life, but you're going to have more when you are singing. And the Lord is going to release unto you in this season of worship, as worship's increasing, songs of deliverance that you will sing. And when you hit certain notes, you're going to go beyond where you've gone before, and there will be a release, there will be a breaking, there will be an anointing to break yokes of depression in worship. Amen? Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. There's like an epidemic, okay, of sadness, darkness, depression. I mean, and just, it's not necessarily chronic, but it's, it's here. Sometimes we wake up, it's Monday morning, and it's like, you know, how do, I, how do I go? Well, this is where the weapons of this warfare are just so powerful for demolishing that stronghold. Sometimes you don't have the energy to go onto the field of battle, you know, and, and just go to work. But it's amazing, okay, because in the same way that, that God pushed back the enemy in that story with John, you know, John Lieb in the video, as we turn on some worship, maybe we don't have the energy to even worship or, you know, jump up and down, take off our shirt, run around the house and do some, you know, wild Pentecostal worship. We don't have that energy. But, but I noticed, you know, even this week when I was, I don't know, wrestling through this message or circumstances of life, I just turned on some worship and as the lyrics, as the lyrics were being said, I could, 
Oh, I agree with that. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And suddenly, I, I felt myself starting to come back. And you see, this is a, an important weapon in the days we live in because it just, we, I mean, what do you do? I mean, what do you do when you're depressed? What do you do when you're down? What, what, what do you do? Is, you know, I, I don't have any more pills left. I don't have this. This is what you do. Okay, now, does that work? I mean, can music <laughs> work? Um, the story of King Saul. King Saul had done some things, and actually the Lord released a demon, okay, to torment him because of his disobedience, and he was in rebellion, and he, he didn't know what to do. He was just, he was so tormented, okay, by these, by these demons, and fi- finally one of his counselors, you know, the beauty of being the king is you got a lot of counselors, and he says, hey, what about music therapy? I was reading in Jerusalem Psychology Today that, um, <laughs> that I think music could actually, it, it soothes the savage beast, and it, uh, it could do something. He said, well, find me somebody. So, that's what they do. They go out, and they find uh, a young man. His name was David, who happened to be a very skillful uh, guitar player, actually lyre player. And I'm going to just read this real quick. Um, okay. Let's see here. I'm not going to read it. Basically, here's what happened. <laughs> this will be shorter, too, by the way. It's always a win. So, so David starts playing, and when David starts playing, boom, Saul's fine. So he says, hey, let's keep this kid around, okay? So he gets sick, you know, feels the torment again. David starts playing, boom, it's gone. So there's, there's this interesting thing about, about worship music. Now, here's what a commentator said. I like to, you know, find the intellectual commentators, and this is what he said. I've got to read this to you. Um, Whatever one believes concerning the identity and or scope of the evil distressing spirit... This much is clear. The music had the power to cause the spirit to depart from Saul. The elements of David's music were able to render the spirit unable or unwilling to continue its oppression of Saul. One must not relegate to obscurity this representation of music's power. It says that whenever the distressing spirit would come upon Saul, he would call for David to come and play. And only then, only then would the spirit depart. Saul's physical deliverance is emphasized clearly in the Hebrew language. The music made him well. Isn't that wild? Now, this is what the commentator didn't tell you. Okay, so it's not like he went out and got Beyonce and Jay-Z to come in and play some tunes. Okay, it just coincidentally in this situation, hey, I hear that there's a son of Jesse who's pretty good on the guitar. Okay, so he goes there. But here's what, here's what the, this didn't tell you. David, okay, was sort of the outcast of his family. He was out on the backside of a hill tending sheep with nothing but his guitar. So the, the man who wrote the songbook, okay, of the Bible, the Psalms, or most of them, a lot of them, okay, was back there writing songs and singing to God and worshiping, and he's fighting bears and lions and doing all these amazing things, and then he's, he's singing about it. So when he came to play, you know, it wasn't like, you know, he's going in there and saying, hey, Saul, I got a little song called Jerusalem Rocks. What do you think? Can I, can I play? Can I shred it for you a little bit? No, he's not saying that, okay? No, his, his thing is he starts playing the worship songs and the psalms that he's already written on the backside of the hill with the sheep, and as he plays, boom, something is released, okay? God, okay, is released, you know, in, in, into the atmosphere, and it's, it's just, it changes. You know, the, the enemy, the enemy can't stand in that. Here's another tidbit, okay? This is really good, okay? 
the presence of the Lord, okay? If you're here, okay, I don't care how long you've been in Christianity, there's this, the presence of God. What is it? Is it like, it's like this mist? Is it like an electronic charged air? I mean, what is it? The Hebrews, I think, nailed it. Because the Hebrews associated the presence of God with what? The face, the face of God, the visage of Jesus comes into the room. So when he is enthroned, again, on the praises of his people, the face of Jesus comes in the room. Here's a, here's a demonic spirit assigned this all by God. It couldn't even stay in the room. It had to vanquish and flee. So what you guys need to understand about worship, okay, is that the enemy flees. That the, there's power in worship to make the enemy flee. Worship leaders understand the enemy is fleeing as you're playing, as you're doing your guitar strokes. I remember, remember in the Moravian church, power of God is just moving and the, there's nothing but worship going on. This is back in like 90, probably 94 or so. And there were people on the ground that, that were just sort of like under the power of God. But as the, the musicians played, you could see their body was just with whatever the cadence of the music was. It was like the music was just ministering into their spirits. I don't know. It's a mystery. I, I can't tell you everything because it's all invisible. It's, it's the invisible realm. But, but it's happening. And nobody, nobody should be more keyed in understanding and accepting of this work in the invisible realm, no matter how rational intellectual you are, because we are the generation that is living in, in a time right now where in the ether, in, the, in the, the realm of the ether, there's a gazillion signals where I can be entertained, I can watch movies, I can do all sorts of things. There is an invisible ether realm. And in addition to all those cool things on the internet, there, there are spiritual powers and rulers and principalities that are saying, that person sucks, don't they? Hey, look at, look at him over there. You know, they're, they're, they're doing things to divide and do the works of the devil. But we have a weapon. It's called worship. It's called the presence of God that causes the enemies to flee. Amen? All right. All right. I'm all, I think I'm almost done. I have to be done because, you know, I'm not, we're not going to talk about Paul and Silas. We're going to... So I'm going to end with this. Um, in California, there was a, a young kid, a young boy, and he was in, a, in really bad shape. And for two weeks, the church did warfare. They battled Okay, I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go to the next the next slide. I'm just gonna let you listen to this. But you know, sometimes you know you war and things don't come out. You're doing everything you can. What do you do? I mean, what do you do? You're doing everything you can, but sometimes you know it's not there. This year, as a, a Bethel Music family, a few days before Christmas, most of you guys probably were a part of this miracle. But we watched um, Joel and Janie Taylor's little son, Jackson. And he was, a few days before Christmas, airlifted to intensive care. And we began to fight for Jackson's life. How many of you guys joined in that fight and that symphony of prayer that rose up for a little boy? And a couple, couple weeks into the fight, we got a text one night from Joel that they weren't sure if he was going to make it through the night. And as soon as I heard and read the message, it was like this giant of unbelief stood in front of me. And I just, I just thought, Jackson's going to die tonight. We're not going to see the miracle. And as this giant stood in front of me, all of a sudden, out of my gut, this song started coming out. 
right in the face of the giant. I raise a hallelujah yes. in the presence of my enemy. Yes. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. As that giant was looking at us, I knew he was going to regret the day he ever pointed his sword at Jackson. Just as Goliath pointed his sword at David, the sword Goliath pointed at David became the sword the little boy picked up and took the giant's head off with. And as we watched this miracle happen in Jackson's body, it was like this giant of unbelief was falling. And our community just began to sing this song. It was just one note in the symphony of prayer rising for his life. Shanna, let's, let's get the worship team up here right now. Um, you know, sometimes you don't have anything left. And you, you can stand too. Um, you don't have anything left, but sometimes you're just tired of losing in the battle. And all you can do is worship because it's out of your hands. All you can do is raise a hallelujah and allow that spirit that lives within you, the spirit that rose Christ from the grave is in you. And if you can just, just with this much faith, just let that defiance come loose, it releases something you know, into the heavenlies. It does something. And I'm going to just show you, just so you can see. Um, hang on, before you go to the words, I, wanna, I just got one other little thing. This is the family right here, just so you can put a face to it. You know, this little, little boy Jackson was going to die. Guess what? He didn't die, and he's just fine now. Because there were people who raised a hallelujah. You know, and the scripture says this, that, um, and I'm, I'm going to share this scripture. This is one of the saddest scriptures, but, but you need to understand this. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. And you think, if I'm not praying with 20 other people, it doesn't matter. But God is looking for one. He is looking for one person to stand in the gap, one person to raise a hallelujah, one person to say, God, of your government there shall be no end. You rule and you are enthroned, and we are not going to take this. God, you are going to move and you are going to heal. That's why people get woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning to pray. It's why, why God will look for one person. And we need to understand that we are not insignificant, that we are government enforcement agents, and right behind our prayers is the visage, is the face of Jesus saying, I agree with what he says here on earth. Amen? Let's raise a hallelujah, okay? Hallelujah.
in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let the Lord's light shine upon you. Have a great week, guys.